We work hard at being healthier. And what we really need is better quality sleep. The new Sleep Number 360 Smart Bed intelligently senses your movements and automatically adjusts your comfort and support on both sides. This is not a bed. It's proven quality sleep. It's the biggest sale of the year where all beds are on sale. Save 50% on the new Sleep Number 360 Limited Edition Smart Bed, plus special financing only for a limited time. To find your local Sleep Number store, go to sleepnumber.com. Special financing subject to credit approval. Minimum monthly payments required. See store for details. They're staying in the shadows. It's called probing. Make sure things are all clear. Clear for what? For the rest of the night. You guys hear that? Welcome to the show, everybody. I am your host, Tony Merkel, and I am really glad that you're here, and I'm really glad to be here. If you've had an encounter or a story you'd like to share with me on the show, go ahead and email me at theconfessionalspodcast at gmail.com. That's theconfessionalspodcast at gmail.com. Or you can go to the website, theconfessionalspodcast.com. Hit the connection section, and you can reach me that way as well. Tonight, I have a great show coming up. I have Matt coming on, and he's going to share his experiences with his girlfriend from high school when they experienced some things while she was playing with a Ouija board. And then a little bit later, Matt brings on his wife to share an experience that she had at a church that the pastor says is cursed. Without any further delay, let's bring on Matt and his wife, Leslie. Okay, tonight I have a special guest coming on. His name is Matt, and he contacted me on Facebook after hearing the show, and uh, he told me he had some stories he wanted to share with me. And Matt, I thank you for your patience uh, waiting for me to get back to you, because right now I'm getting a lot of emails from people, and you know sometimes just emails fall through the crack, and uh, it takes a while to get back to some people. But um, how are you doing, man? Good. How are you doing, Tony? I'm doing good. I'm doing real good. I mean, I'm living the dream, so... I'm excited about hearing your story tonight. Uh, you talked to me on the email about um, a story, actually two different things that happened to you that you'd like to talk about. And the first one, uh, you mentioned about a Ouija board incident when you were, I think, 17 years old. Uh, why don't you walk yeah. us into what was going on there? Yeah, well, um, when I was 17 years old, it was the summer after I graduated, and um, I met this girl and started dating her. And I worked at this restaurant, and one evening, um, her and her younger sister and her mom came in, and uh, they said, hey, what are you doing after work? I said, well, I just want to go home. And they said, well, why don't you bring a pizza over, and uh, we'll just hang out for a little bit. And I said, okay, that sounds pretty good. And so that's what I did. I got off work, I don't know, around 11 o'clock, 11.30. 
And uh, so I went over to their house. And when I walked in, I brought the pizza in, and we're kind of sitting, making small talk. And the subject of a Ouija board came up, and uh, they had asked me if I'd ever messed around with one. I said, no, I don't like those things, you know. And they kind of gave me a little bit of a ribbing. Uh, you know, it's just a, it's just a toy. It's just a game. And they wanted to play it. So, and at this point, I thought, well, you know, whatever. I was sitting on the couch and uh, I was eating pizza. And so my girlfriend and her sister, they went and got it and brought it in. And we were in the living room and they started lighting candles. And so they lit the candles and they turned the lights off. And her mom's sitting there on the couch. I'm sitting on the couch, and they are uh, sitting on the floor in front of us with this Ouija board. And so they were kind of messing around with it and asking if there was any spirits that wanted to talk and and, and that. And um, so I'm sitting there watching them. And um, apparently this spirit did want to talk uh, uh you know the the thing went to yes and i'm thinking okay you know they're they probably set me up at this point i'm thinking um they're they're gonna try to set me up with something so um they started talking to it and they asked its name and it was Michael, and it was he was a boy, and said he was five years old, and they were they were I thought they were really starting to kind of really do a pretty good job of acting because they're like, man, this thing this thing is. Are you moving it? No, are you moving it? No, I'm not moving it. And I'm thinking, yeah, whatever. Um, and the other mom's like, oh, are you girls, who? which one of you is moving it? And I'm thinking, okay, this is this one big old joke. Um, but they asked him how he died, and he said he had died in a car crash, and it spelled out car crash. And... I'm thinking, okay, so here we have a five-year-old little boy died in a car crash. I thought, well, that's pretty sick. And um, um, I I thought I'm going to throw him for a loop. And I said, uh, ask him where he lived. And they asked him, and he spelled out a town that was probably... Oh, five, ten miles away. And I said, okay, uh, what was what was his uh, mom and dad's name? And it spelled out their names. And I'm not going to give the names because I, it, they're, they're real people. And I said, what's his telephone number? And he spelled it out. And I thought, okay, 
All right. So I get up, and I go into the kitchen, and I flip the light on, and I grab the telephone book. And, Tony, as I'm going down, I find the dad's name, and the telephone number was one number off. Wow. And I'm thinking, ha, okay, well, guess what, girls? You know, you you goofed up. You're one number off. And they're looking at me like, what? I'm like, yeah. I said, here's his dad's name, and and here's the telephone number. You got You got the one number wrong. And they flipped out. At that point, they, they're like, and they're looking at each other. Are you moving it? No, are you? No, I'm not moving it. You got to be moving it. And I'm like, wait a second. You, you didn't set this up? And, and they keep swearing, no, no. Now they're getting freaked, even more freaked out. And um, so I thought they're still playing me. They're playing me. It's you know at this time it was probably midnight, twelve thirty. Um, you know the lights were off, the candles were lit. I thought they're just they're just playing a joke on me. And so I thought, okay. So I sat back down on the couch. I said, let me ask it. Let me ask it uh, some more questions. So they get their hands back on the board. Um, and this is kind of this is this is. It's kind of difficult to talk about because it, uh, it's a long time ago, and it's still it doesn't it doesn't scare me. I just I just don't want to be around them. Um, I asked it. There was a a family a family friend whose uh, relative had passed away, and I said the person's name, and I said you know so and so they died. How did they die? And it spelled out rope. And this person had committed suicide by hanging themselves. They wouldn't have known that. There is no way they would have known that. And they looked at me with like deer in the headlights look. And I said, "That's that's 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 how they died. They they hung themselves, and then they they kind of jumped back away from it. And the mom's getting concerned. And I said, "You guys need to be you guys need to be stopping this." And they wanted to continue. And she was, "No, no, 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 no. This this is real. This is happening. This is real. Ask us some more stuff." And I thought, "Okay, what what chance did they have?" of knowing something like that. Um, so I asked it another question uh, about my grandpa. And I said, my grandpa, um, I believe the way I worded it was, my grandpa had a farming accident. Uh, what happened? And it spelled out little finger. And... It was bad enough it spelled out rope before, but when it spelled out little finger, I said, put that thing away. And they said, what? They're looking like, what? I said, my grandpa, his little finger on one of his hands just about got completely ripped off um, on a tractor. And I said he was able to get it put back on, but he never had 
uh, use of it after that. And so they flipped out. I mean, there's no way they're going to know that. At that point, I knew they weren't playing. And they, they, they shut the board up, they put it away, turned lights on, and uh, it was... It was. I just wanted to. I just wanted the night to end. I wanted to get out of there, um, and and that's basically what happened. Um, I I think. Uh, I think something bad came through. I don't necessarily think it was a five-year-old boy at all. I think it said it was a five-year-old boy because there were two girls messing with the board, and. You know, two girls messing with the Ouija board. Oh, it's a five-year-old little boy. Um, what were the chances that they would stop talking to it or get scared? You know, so that's why I think something came through saying it was a five-year-old boy. Again, they they swore that they did not um, try to play a trick. And there's no way they could have with the the last two questions that I asked. And um, so I I left soon after that, uh, and we wound up uh, breaking up soon after. It was just, I mean, it it just wasn't working out anyway. And and I I didn't want to be around one. And and to this day, uh, I don't want to be in a house with one. And the few people that I hear talk about them, I tell them, don't be messing with that stuff. Don't be messing with it. Um, I mean, that's what happened to me, and, I mean, two things that they they wouldn't know, they didn't know my family, um, and, and, and for that to, to come out the way it, it, it did, um, it, it told me everything I needed to know about them, just stay away, don't mess with them, because you never know what's going to come through. Yeah, absolutely. I mean... Uh, I've never been around one because I was, since a young age, I was told that you don't play with those. And one thing with my family is my mom was never shy about telling me the truth. Like (laughs) ever since I was a kid, she was just very honest with me when it came to this kind of stuff or just real life scenarios, anything. She just was, she never lied to me. She was just very upfront and honest. And uh, I remember her telling me not to mess with these things. And she told me, you know, some things that she experienced uh, throughout her life. But uh, I wanted to ask you, when you went over to the house with the pizza, it was the mom, your girlfriend, and the sister, correct? Yes. Was the mom actively participating in this, or was she just observing as you were? She was observing uh, as I was. She was uh, actually sitting uh, on the couch. Um, but I was sitting on, and and both of them were right in front of the couch um, on the floor. So uh, it 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 looked to me, it appeared to me that they had you know messed with it before, but I don't think well from from their reaction, nothing like this had ever happened before. I don't know if. Um, it was just, I don't know what changed about that night. Now I can't say that, that, that they had messed with it before, you know, me coming over ever, but, you know, they had it, um, 
and they obviously knew how to kind of mess around with it. But um, to see the look on their faces and how freaked out everybody got uh, towards the end, um, I'm pretty confident that nothing like that had happened to them before. Now, I don't know if they got rid of it after that. I don't know if they continued with it. Um, I don't know, because after we broke up, I I never talked to her again. So. Okay. Now, when they all when they flipped out, I'm assuming you mean the mom flipped out as well, right? Yeah, she did. Not as, believe it or not, not as much as what the two girls did. I don't know if, if part of her thought they were just playing, but the last two questions um, kind of got her attention a little bit more. And, you know, she was in full agreement after that. She's like, you girls need to put that up. Um, so, okay. if, you know, if, being a parent myself, there's no way I let my kids have one of those. And and definitely, if I if I knew they had one and something like that was starting to happen, I'd, um, it, it'd be getting out of the house right then and there. Yeah. No, I absolutely understand that. Uh, I just, you know, I, I just, I'm curious as to what the mom's um, knowledge was when it comes to Ouija boards. I mean, was it something that she wasn't real familiar with or, you know, was it something that she was very familiar with and testing the waters to see how the new boyfriend reacts to the family hobby? You know what I mean? I just, oh, it, it's very curious yeah. to me. You know what? I'd never thought about that. I'd never thought about it that way. Because when you when you say the the girls were freaking out and the mom was like ah eh, like she she was maybe reacting but not reacting like the girls were, uh, it makes me feel like maybe she kind of expected something like this to happen eventually. Maybe not every time they play with it, but she, maybe she's experienced something. I don't know. I'm just drawing a picture with no real facts to support it, but it just I'm just saying what it makes me think of um, because then when you're saying put that away right now and you're demanding it. It's like she flips from one extreme to the other where she's not flipping out with, with her daughters like they're flipping out to when you say put it away. It's like she went to the other extreme. It's like, yeah, girls, put that away now. You know what I mean? It yeah. just, it just, yeah. it just yeah. finds a, it, it strikes me a little odd, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I hadn't thought about it that way. Maybe because I'm thinking, you know, as a parent, surely you, you know, they wouldn't be, into something like that, you know? I mean, yeah, she had it in the house and and was letting her kids play with it, but I, I don't know, maybe maybe she'd messed with it before and um, and, and maybe she wanted to see uh, what might happen when, when this uh, young man comes over and uh, I don't know, maybe see how, what I thought about it, but, but um, I think my reaction and, and what I said and the fact that, you know, we broke up and I I just never, I never went back over there again. I think I kind of, I think she knew where I stood with that. Yeah. After that, so. What do you think your girlfriend and her sister, they're the ones that flipped out. What do you think they thought was going on before the seriousness of what was going on actually took place. Like they're, they're participating with the Ouija board and they clearly thought it was something that was fun up to that point. Uh, did they ever, did she ever mention before this all happened as to 
what she thinks is actually going on here? No, I, when it first started, I, I thought they were setting me up to scare me. Um, you know, I thought they had, and, and that's why I went and, um, I got the phone book and I, I told him, I said, you know, you guys, you guys got, uh, oh, one other thing too that got me was when I told him they had, that the number was off, the younger sister said, let's call him. And I said, are you crazy? Wow. I said, look what time it is. I said, you don't call somebody up at night and say, hey, did you have a five-year-old little boy who got killed in a car crash? Um, and then, you know, as I'm thinking about it, well, they've got to, they've got to be playing, playing me. Who in their right mind would say something like that, you know? Yeah. Um, and, and then as I asked those questions, then it was like they they kept saying, "Are you moving it? No, are you you are and like, no, I'm not." So I got the impression that each one of them thought the other one was the one doing the moving. And I mean, Tony, with what with what I asked it, and what it came back with. There's, there's no, there is no way, no way they would have known. No way. My, my grandpa had been dead at that point for, let's see, uh, 15, uh, yeah, right around 15 years, 14, 15 years. They, they didn't know, they didn't know the family. Um, so there's... You know, even 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 on the the rare chance that they knew about the suicide, there is no way they knew about my grandpa. No way. And I was not going to ask any more questions right then and there. It just it it, it told me everything I needed to know about these things. And some people. Uh, I've heard on on TV, and, and I've heard other people talking when the subject has come up. Well, you know, they they try to videotape these things, and, and, and nothing ever happens, and it's all just you know mind games, and and uh, people are subconsciously moving them. Well, here's the way I look at that. Why I know what I saw, I know what happened, and if there is a demonic presence that comes through those things it's not going to show itself when it knows cameras are rolling when you know the scientific community is studying it it's going to show itself in a dark room where there's candles lit and there's naive people messing around with it it's not going to Satan's not going to to me Satan's not going to put his cards out on the table saying yep you got us these Ouija boards they're bad. Yeah, we 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 like to mess with people through them. They're evil. Yeah, you got it on camera. You you got it. He's not going to do that. It, it, it's going to be again in these dark rooms where kids are playing with them or adults, and they're going to open up something that they're not prepared for. And even if they think they are, even if they think it's a loved one, I don't I don't believe in that. And the devil's going to lie to you, and I believe demons will lie to you. 
just uh, just to enter your life. And uh, I I think they can they can come through a Ouija board and create havoc on people. Yeah, um, I mean those are those are some good points, you know. And even back to when they were asking the questions and or when you at, told them to ask a certain question, it was very direct and to the point with the response. It wasn't, you know, like you were reading into things. It was very no. direct answers. And yeah. it, it it does make you wonder, you know, if you want to accept the fact that it is a five-year-old boy that died in a car crash in the, you know, the town over, how does that five-year-old boy know those things? Yeah. I mean, a five-year-old little boy who died is is is, is going to be, and in my belief, is going to be in heaven. They're not going to come through some some board um, and 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 talk to people. I don't I don't believe that for a second. I believe that whatever came through that board knew that if it came in the guise of a five-year-old little boy who got killed in a car crash because two girls were playing with the board, they would not feel like uh, they should be threatened. It's, it's not like it came through, you know, gave it a demon name and said, you know, I'm, I'm from the bowels of hell and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to haunt you or I'm going to cause misery for you. They're gonna, you know, no one's gonna talk to something like that. But, you know, two girls playing with the Ouija board. Oh, it's a five-year-old little boy, and he died. Are you okay? And so, looking back on it, I thought, well, you know, that's it, it, it's like it's like these sickos that that try to abduct kids. You know, my puppy's my puppy's missing. Can you help me find my puppy? I mean, praying on. On, on on young kids like that, you know, and, and it's almost That's what I think kind of happened here. It was it it knew okay, it's going to be a five year old little boy who died, and that's that's how we're going to get him to stay on the board. You know, I don't know. And that's to me, um, like you said, I I I don't see why a five year old little boy deceased would know that. You know, they're they're in heaven. They're not going to talk to nobody through through a Ouija board. Yeah, that that's my thoughts. Yeah, well, I mean, that experience is uh, something that I would carry with me the rest of my life, man. That that definitely sounds. Um, it sounds like an eye-opening experience, you know. Like I'm sure you probably don't look back at it now and you get terrified out out of your mind when you think about it. But I'm no. sure it was something that educated you. Uh, for the rest of your it life, it did. It did. I mean, I I grew up in the church, and I still go to church to this day. Um, and you know, I I know that I'm protected by Jesus Christ, and uh, so you know, it's it's one of those things that if if someone tells you heaven and hell ain't for real, um, yeah, they are. And and if someone tells you the devil's not real. Devil's real, and I think there are people who have gotten uh, their lives turned upside down 
by by playing with Ouija boards and dabbling in the occult, um, and uh, that's something that uh, I never want to be around again, ever. I understand that. Well, I mean, speaking of church, you did tell me that you had uh, an experience with you and your wife at a church that, uh, well, it just really shouldn't have happened at a church, and uh, I would like to see if you want to share that. Uh, yeah, I would I would love to, but I, I actually have uh, my wife here. Uh, would it be okay if she kind of let you know what happened? Yeah, absolutely. Actually, that would be perfect because it actually happened to her, right? Yeah. Great. Say hi to Tony. Hi. <laughs> Hello, Matt's wife. How are you? I'm doing good. I'm, I'm a little nervous, but doing good. This is the first time I've shared this story. Okay. Well, uh, we're eager to hear it. So uh, what happened? Well, I think it, it sort of helps if you can hear a little bit of the background um, to that particular day. Um, we were going to... Um, an old church that's in our town. I, I want to say it was probably maybe started around the 1800s, like, because our town was founded, like, in the 1830s. So it's a one of the original um, structures um, in the town. And uh, we live in a really small town, so you kind of know everybody um, that's there. And, and that morning, um, I had taken uh, our boys to church. Um, Matt worked uh, a swing shift schedule. So I think he was on midnights, um, that day, but so anyhow, I had had taken him to church that morning, um, and the reason I mention that is because this door that I'm going to tell you about um, here in, in a in a minute, I was actually opening that door, and I went through that door that morning. So we were, you know, at the service, and um, our youngest son was only months old at the time. He was maybe I don't know six months old, kind of at the oldest, maybe even a little younger, um, and I had to leave the sanctuary. Um, in order to take him to where the nursery was. So during the service, I had uh, walked out of these doors, and, and they were the old, like, have you ever been in an old church where there's the, like, 10-foot-tall kind of accordion type of doors that can open? The ones that kind of, like, divide rooms? Yes, exactly. Yeah, because it divided the um, sanctuary from sort of like a little fellowship hall. And so anyhow, during the service, um, I had walked out that door and, and took care of um, our son and then went back in for the rest of the service with him. Um, and shortly after the service, um, my older son had um, a 4-H meeting. So I knew that we were going to be staying there um, for a little bit. But since Matt was on midnight, I didn't want to bring the kids home and deal with lunch and those kind of things. So we left for a little while um, and got back to the church. And the important thing is when we got back to the church, we were actually um, the only people in the church. The, the door was unlocked, kind of like the back door to, to get into the church. Um, and since we were the first ones there, I said, well, you know, let's go ahead and get things set up for the meeting because I knew, you know, the way the advisor, like the chairs arranged and those kind of things. And um, since our youngest was still in um, a car seat, like the type that you could carry, um, I didn't have to worry about him going anywhere. So we probably got there 20 to 30 minutes before the meeting began and, got some things set up, um, but it was about 5 till 2. I can remember that because the meeting started at 2. So it was about 5 till 2, and uh, I was starting to get a little concerned because I thought, you know, why isn't anyone anyone here? I, I knew there should have been other 
you know, 4-H members and a lot of kids showing up. Um, but you can ask Matt. I'm notorious with getting dates and times mixed up, and I thought, oh, my gosh, you know, I, I showed up on the, the wrong day of the meeting, and there's probably not a meeting today. So what I decided to do was to walk back sort of like through the fellowship hall um, to where the sanctuary was because there was a little table um, like where they set out the program of the day, you know, that has kind of like the hymns in it that you're singing and events that are coming up for the week. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Like a schedule almost. And um, so anyhow, I knew that if the meeting was, the, that day, that Sunday, um, I would see it on the back of the, the program. So I left the boys alone, um, which I wasn't, I don't know, maybe just a, like a room or two away from them. And it's not like I had just walked away, but I just left them there for a tiny bit. And I went over um, to this foyer area uh, to get the program. And um, when I did that, I, I heard a noise. And when I tried to tell this to Matt, I said, you know, I heard the noise, but the noise didn't scare me because I had ju- I literally had just reached the, um, the paper. So I, I had it in my hand, but I didn't have a chance to flip it over. And, like, right at that moment, I heard this noise, and I thought, oh, someone's coming in. What would be, like, the front door of the sanctuary? Because the church, you could go in, in in lots of different ways. And I thought, oh, someone has just been dropped off in the front of the church and they're going to walk through the sanctuary and come through those accordion doors. So I wasn't startled at all when um, I heard it. And then as I looked over, I could see the door um, start to shake. And, like, what was so weird about it was it reminded me if um, you've ever tried to open a door that was stuck and you, like, almost take your shoulder and bang into it, um, just like you, you know that the door works. It's just kind of an old door type of thing. So even when that happened, I wasn't scared because I thought, oh, you know, I just walked out the door, those doors in the morning, and I know the top of the doors can stick a little bit. They're huge wooden doors, and they're heavy. So I didn't think anything of So at this point, hearing the noise, seeing and hearing someone hit it really hard repeatedly, and knowing you at the 4-H club, you have kids from – third grade up through high school. So it, it could have been you know, a younger kid kind of coming through or an elementary kid. So I actually reach over um, to open the door to help whoever's on the other side. Wasn't scared at all. And as I kind of fight with the door just, just a little bit and I jerked the door open, there was nobody there. I mean, just it was silent, complete silence on the other side of the door. And I stood there just for a second and I thought, you know, what, what, where is the person? What just happened? Because, again, I wasn't initially scared until I looked and I kind of stepped through into the sanctuary and I realized there was nobody there. And, and I, had, I did it so quickly that someone, it's not like someone could have done it and ran out of the back of the church or done it and ducked under a pew or something like that. It just, once, once that hit me of, I know what I heard, I know what I saw, and there was nobody there, that's when, like, that motherly instinct kicked in, and I thought, oh, my gosh, I've, I've got to get to my kids. 
so I turned around and I, I darted to go right back to where the kids were. Um, at this point, I was really, really scared. Um, and, and I got to the boys, and then someone from the 4-H club had actually come in the door where we would normally um, go in and out. And I knew at that point I couldn't leave because our oldest son didn't know what happened. He had been with um, our younger son. And I just kind of, I don't know, I felt frozen a little bit and decided to go ahead and stay for the meeting. Meeting happened, didn't hear anything, didn't see anything. Um, But ever since then, I've just been really shook up about it. Wow, that's some story. Now, when you were in there, you you said the door was shaking, right? Yes, yeah. Now, the door that was shaking was the accordion door? Yes, the, the big 10-foot doors that separated the two, the, separated the sanctuary from like a foyer fellowship hall kind of area. Okay. Now, when this thing was shaking, was it like a swaying or was it like a vibrating, like somebody was like shaking it violently? No, it was like if it wasn't swaying at all, the door was completely closed, and if you were on one side of it, like if you were on the sanctuary side, it was like you would have turned the handle or the knob, and I can't say for sure that I saw the knob doing anything as much as, like, the top of the door. I could just, in my brain, I could just imagine someone just bumping it with their shoulder and just trying to get it open. Because you've seen, like, old wood doors that, like, if it's a really hot summer day, they might swell a little bit or kind of stick a little bit. That was kind of what it what it was doing. But so it was the the banging, the bumping of it a little bit, but, like, fast and repeatedly. And not for long. I mean, just long enough, like, for a person to go, oh, there's someone at the door and they just can't get it open because it's sticking was, was what my brain said. Okay. But there, so there was definitely some kind of activity, uh, around that door in your church that was unexplainable because I mean, you did open the door. There was nobody on the other side. Uh, yeah. And that's when I realized, whoa, something, something is off here because had I opened the door and a kid would have been standing there, I wouldn't have thought a thing of it. Not, I mean, not a thing. It was just a person trying to come through the door. But when you open the door and it's dead quiet on the other side, the lights were off. I mean, there was no activity at all in, in the sanctuary. There was nothing at the back door, nothing up by the pulpit. There was nothing, just absolutely. And it stopped. There was not another sound. I didn't hear a thing after that. Wow. So, this happens to you. I mean, obviously you're shooken up. What, right. did, what did you do after the meeting was over and things like that? I mean, did you ever tell anybody at the church what had happened? Did you ever ask a question about that? You know, it's really strange because, like I said, I was, had we not had that meeting and it had no one shown up, I would have been out of there immediately. I mean, I went to get the boys. I wanted to leave. And that's when, you know, another advisor or something had come in. So as soon as the meeting was over, and and then the whole time the meeting was going on, I felt so uncomfortable. And so I got home um, and and woke my husband up, and I said, you know, I've got to tell you this thing that happened. And he was kind of like, well, what do you mean? So I I shared the story with him. Um, 
and I eventually talked to the pastor about it, but I didn't do it immediately. Yeah, one of the things when she had brought it up to me, Tony, I had kind of asked similar questions as far as, you know, are you sure there was nobody on the other side? Um, you even asked about a fan, like yeah, heating, air conditioning, a, yeah, something kick, kick on. on. But then again, I those doors were so big and heavy. And at the time, we'd been going to that church about what six months, four or six months up to that point. Maybe even a little longer. It might have been close to a year because that happened. We had moved here in two thousand two. Yeah, yeah, so maybe around a year okay. or so, something like um, that. And, well, with me being on swing shift, right. uh, you were there a lot more than what right. I would have been. Right, And so I'm asking her, I said, you know, uh, being in there, during a church service, you never saw that, and they would have had heating and air no. conditioning on during that time. Well, and something to say about that, too, you know, I've been, like, in our house now that, you know, if you it's the great spring days where there's a breeze going through, and you know how a door can slam or something like that. It wasn't anything like that. It wasn't a one-time noise. It wasn't one knock. It wasn't a bump. It was shaking and hitting it repeatedly, something like that. It wasn't just a noise that I heard. Now, one thing I do remember, and... and We've kind of talked about this before, and, and I don't know whether you blocked it mm-hmm. or what, but when you had told me that, because when I was questioning you, you, you had mentioned the doorknob right? turning, and I don't know. I don't know. I think it's just that the sound is what's in my head. Is what did it the most. That, that, that was the part that just shook me up the most because, I, I don't know, I just can't describe it. It was... So loud. And knowing that it didn't scare me initially, that's what I keep coming back to. You know, it's not like you just heard a noise and jumped. It was, oh, someone's coming in this way instead of the other way. So I just, it it felt very comfortable until I realized there was no one there. And I know, uh, you know, at that point we'd been married several, several years, and and I had, I had, I could see the fear and I could see the just, uh, just a concern right. with my wife. Well, and that's when, and weren't you the one who encouraged me to talk to the pastor about yeah, it? Yeah, I said, I said, listen, I said, this this happened. Mm-hmm. You, you know, talk talk to the pastor because we like the church. Mm-hmm. Um, Wonderful people. We were getting to know, you know, a lot of people in it, and and again, it's a small town, right? So um, everybody knows everybody. Yeah, so I I said, listen, you. You need to talk to the pastor. Which is what I did. Um, I scheduled some time to to go talk with him, and I I just said, you know, I just had some questions. And so when I went to talk to him, it's not funny, but I have to laugh about it or I think I would cry. Um, When I said to him, I said, hey, you know, I I was at church on, on this day, you know, that morning for the service and the afternoon for a meeting, and and this is what happened. He was not startled in the least i mean not not the slightest bit of anything and he said well that's just because there was a curse put on the church and i was stunned because i'd never heard any leader of faith might kind of be the best way to describe it ever give credibility to a curse 
and to know that he wasn't joking. He was serious. And I said, well, what do you mean? And he said, well, yeah, you know, many years ago there was a, a group of women and something had happened. I, I don't know if there was a, a disagreement of some sort. Uh, I don't know all the details, but these few women put a curse on the church. And I thought, I thought that was weird. And I don't remember a whole lot more of the conversation because I know I was in a lot of shock about it. So I, I then talked with uh, the church secretary, um, someone who I just admired a lot. She was a wonderful woman and um, another woman that did some work at the church. And I said, you know, have have you heard anything about this? And those two women were even more um, um, serious about it, if, if that makes sense. And they were like, yeah, th- this is why we pray all through this church. And they talked about um, just doing like a kind of a prayer walk. It wasn't just praying for the protection of the church. They would walk through the church and around the church and every crevice and just pray through it for protection and all of that. And I was, I was stunned. And honestly, to this day, it still leaves me a little shocked, like, did did that really happen, and was that really the answer? And unfortunately, it kind of ruined me going to that church. Um, I can remember, uh, you know, when she got back, uh, it might have been, what, a week later from talking to the pastor? Probably, like yeah. Um, you know, and she's telling me what happened. And, you know, I just, it shocked me, too, because I'm not the type of person to talk about this stuff. I mean, I I don't go digging into cults and curses and darkness of any kind. That's just that's just not me. I'm I don't know. I'm pretty straight laced when it comes to that, and I don't know. I just I don't look there. But I can I can remember you know, you, you talking to me after after that conversation, and I. Tell it really bothered you. Oh, I wouldn't um, go back to church without him. I just yeah. thought I, I need him in there with me. I don't know what you could have done for a, a curse, but you made me feel better being next to me. Yeah. Well, I know, uh, you know, speaking of, of of that, needing me with her, um, uh, probably around maybe two weeks after the incident. I want to say it was a couple weeks, yeah. Um, so, you know, the, the incident happens, and then she talks to the pastor and about another week goes by, and and we go to the church service. I think I might have been on four to twelve. Or it was yeah, one of those schedules where it lets you do it. And uh, I can remember, you know, we we went to church, Tony. As I'm sitting there, um, we were sitting over on the right side, away mm-hmm. from the doors. Yeah, I and, didn't want to get near them. <laughs> and I I kept looking over there, and I'm thinking. Those things, how how did that happen? Mm-hmm. Because I went through them, you know, myself. And, but, and once you can sit and you start looking at them, and you, you look know, at the the height, the size, the weight. Yeah. And this was wintertime, so, you know, the heat's on and everything else. And, right. and those, again, during any service that I had been to, and you had been to more than me because right. of my work schedule, you never saw them do that. No, during, no. And at, so at some point halfway through the service, um, I started feeling like I was being choked, 
and not like by by hand and fingers, but I just felt like I I couldn't breathe, and there was tightening uh, in my in my throat, and just a really oppressive feeling. And I can remember looking over at her and like, we're not going to do this, you know. I mean, we had two young kids, and I said we're we're going to leave, and we're not going to come back. And that was my thing too, you know, where I would typically take our youngest into the nursery, and sometimes I would leave him in there, and sometimes I would stay with him, or a lot of times he was in the service with us, I just knew without a doubt that he was never going to be away from me in that church because I know what I had experienced, and I didn't want any entity of any sort to have a way to reach him because I just thought if he is in our arms, and he was little enough, he was in a carrier attached to my body, um, that I just, I could not let him go down. And then and that you know, really broke my heart because being in a small town, you want to go to church with your neighbors and, you know, you want to do those events together. But I just knew it came down to either I worship with our community or I protect our our kids. And Matt was very supportive and said, you know, we will do whatever you want to do. And that's when we left the church. Wow. That's incredible. Uh, Matt, when you felt those, I guess, hands or you felt something tightening around your neck, uh, did you ever happen to see any markings on your body after that? Uh, no. Um, it, it, again, Tony, it was more like, um, it was like pressure is the best way I can describe it. Describe it. Not that I could feel like fingers, but I could feel the pressure, and it was focused. And I and I can uh, I can I can remember it. Um, it wasn't. It didn't feel right. That's that's that, that's another way I can. And and you know, some people may say, well, you know, your wife had this experience, and 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 you're back in that church, and. You know, you're looking over at the doors, and your mind's thinking. I mean, I got to be honest; I really wasn't paying attention to the service because my mind's focused on, you know, what she told me, and then and then looking over at them doors. And well, and I was looking at you for a little bit of wisdom and and insight, and you know, something like to be able to say to me, you know what, it's okay. You just. Um, you just thought you saw something or you thought you heard. Like, I guess I was looking for him to explain it away for me a little bit, but he couldn't because I knew what I heard. He knew how he felt. I knew the fear that I had for the kids, and I don't know. I just, it just, it wasn't right. And then then talking to some other people like you did, and they're kind of confirming this for you. Right, right. And and so, again, for me, Tony, I I never, I never looked um, at my neck, but I will tell you this: I've never experienced that sensation before or since. Um, so it's not like uh, you know I was coming down with a cold or 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 something else. Um, it it just felt very oppressive, and I had never felt that before. And I, to this day, you know, all these years later, I haven't felt anything like that. Um, uh, you know, 
earlier we had talked about the the Ouija board experience. Um, I didn't feel anything like that during that time, seeing everything that happened and, and witnessing that. Uh, this was something different. Um, and, and I would hate to think that uh, a, a church could be cursed, but um, it's a building. Um, and, you know, I don't know all the particulars. Uh, obviously, and my wife doesn't either. Um, but we we left, and we never went back to church service. You know, there was one more thing I was going to say, too. The other feeling that I had, and this feels so stupid for me to say this, but it's when when we were in that service after everything had happened, I just kept having this, I don't want to call it a vision because that's, I think that's the wrong word for it, but in my mind I could just see something picking our baby up and either him floating or being taken away from me in some crazy way. I don't know. It was just, and knowing that I could not get that image out of my head, that was just the final straw. Now, that's something you've never told me. Well, I know, because it sounds stupid. No, it doesn't, <laughs> sound, no, it doesn't, sound, it doesn't sound stupid at all. I mean, you're, you're his mom. I know. You know, you got a mother's instinct. I uh, know. I, I can't say this, Tony. I mean, after that, we had went uh, to a couple other different churches, um, never had anything like else like that happen. No. And and the church we're going to now is, is, is great. You know, I I was lucky that I was brought up in the church, and I'm a Christian, and, you know, I, I know Jesus for Texas. And, you know, you just you just feel that calm that you have as a Christian. And, you know, what's interesting with you saying that, that was one of my struggles over the years, too. I couldn't understand how something like that could happen in a church where Jesus is preached and shared and worshipped and all of the good that can come out of a church. I could not believe that evil could get into a church. I just, I guess I had that naive assumption that it was protected because Christians were inside, and the thought that someone could really do some kind of a curse, that it just did not, like, it didn't make sense to me. Yeah, I mean, if you think of it this way, and I'm going to... I'm going to start chiming in here because you guys are giving me so much ammo to talk about. Um, (laughs) But if you start thinking about it as not a church, I didn't know a church could be cursed kind of thing, but rather if you think about the individual, how even though you're a Christian or, and and your, your faith is in Jesus Christ, you still get spiritually attacked. You know, just because you're, you're a Christian and you're claiming Jesus Christ as your authority in your life, it doesn't mean that bad things stop happening to you. In fact, that's when things get vamped up because now there's actually a fight going on. Before, you were just going along with the flow of things, whatever, whatever. But once you start actually making choosing a side and you're siding with, with Christ, 
Now there's an enemy there that wants to vamp up its attacks on you as an individual. And so when you think of it as, on the on the micro level like that, it makes sense. And then you expand your perspective to the macro level of a body of Christ, a, a church body coming together to worship their God. It's natural to think then that, yes, that would be a target for uh, somebody who does not want uh, this church to succeed in its mission. Does that make sense? Right, it, it does. I, I think back about that verse in the Bible that talks about how Satan roams the earth seeking who he can devour. And again, I had that naive thing of, well, he, he can't devour anyone here because, you know, we're all already protected. But in the years since then, I've learned that that's not always the case. Right. I mean, that's First uh, Peter uh, chapter five, verse eight is what you're referring to. And, uh, right. that, that's such a powerful verse. And it's a verse that I really think that, uh, many, and I'm not trying to bash Christians. All right. I'm, I'm really not, but I, I, I'd think that a lot of Christians gloss over th- certain things in their Bibles, whether it's because they, they don't understand it or it makes them feel uncomfortable. And I think that's a verse that a lot of them kind of gloss over. They don't want to acknowledge the fact that their enemy is like a roaring lion seeking to devour them. That's scary, you know? And there, yeah. I, there's this philosophy that I heard uh, a couple of years ago that I really, I really adopted in my own mind. And this guy, he said, if you don't understand something in the Bible that you say you believe in, then you're not supposed to just gloss over it and pass it pass it up and and go to the next verse. You're supposed to dive into it. You're not supposed to make the 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 verse fit around your mind, but rather your mind fit around the scripture verse. And so oh, the verse isn't broken, it's your mind and you need to fix your mind. And mm-hmm. um and so when it comes to that stuff, I, I even this all the stuff we're talking about tonight, I think there's a lot of, and like I said, I'm not trying to, you know, go after Christians or anything, but I think a lot of times we, we, I think we have a case where Christians need to start waking up and realize that there is, you know, an actual spiritual warfare battle going on for their very souls, and they need to start start arming themselves and and go on the offensive with their their walk with you know their God. Um, you know, you said about earlier about how the uh, the church was cursed, and you weren't you weren't aware that a church could be cursed. And that, yeah. that's, that's news for so many people. But I t- I'll tell you, I've now I listen to, I don't know if Matt told you, but I mean, I'm a truck driver, you know, so I listen to tons of podcasts during the day. I listen to tons of different interviews and I've heard so many interviews. I, I think I, I maybe exaggerate there, but I, I think I've listened to at least five interviews with somebody who was an ex satanic priest of some kind who willingly comes onto a show for an interview and talks about how they actually go into churches. They actually focus on infiltrating Christian churches to break them up. Uh, and one of the things there's the one guy said, there's three things that they will do to try to break up these churches and the topic of money. So they're, they're they'll, they'll usually try to, um, create some kind of money discrepancy in the church to break it up. Uh, gossip, they'll start a gossip ring that will help break the church up or a sex scandal, uh, usually including some kind of minor in the church, something that's really emotional. That, right. But he said, those are three things that they will, they will try to do to split up a church. And he said that 
this guy, the one guy I'm thinking of, he said that he's been, he's done this over a hundred times to churches, over a hundred times, one person. So he went into these different churches, pretending to be, to, to be somebody who was, who wanted to be involved in the church only to try breaking it up. And he said he's broken up hundreds of churches, him personally. Wow. And so that if, what I just said there is mind blowing for so many people. That people are going to say, how's that even possible? Who would, well, here's the thing. There's satanic covens out there. And if, if there's a satanic coven out there, they're, they're, they're naturally against what you believe, you know? And it's just natural. There's that, that, that gridlock, you know, does that make sense? It does. It does. Okay. It's scary to know that that's possible and that people would actually do that. Because I think sometimes in, in churches, it's so, um, I don't know if I want to say like cookie cutter, perfect almost, or it's not like, I, I've heard it said so many times talking about, you know, sometimes people, they compare like a church to a hospital. And you've probably heard that before where, you know, waiting to like clean your life up to go to church is like waiting to get healthy before you go to the hospital. But I think a lot of times people in the church don't want to look at themselves as a hospital, but instead they want to look at themselves more as this pretty club or like a group of people who have things together. And I think it would be easy for someone to, to break that up, I guess. Yeah. And, and especially if there's an actual group of people out there with a mission to do so. Right. Uh, I'll tell you an example story. This is a story that I actually, it was actually told to me, uh, by somebody in college, I'll leave them their name out of it. But when I was in college, we were sitting around talking and this one guy mentioned a story and I believe he said it happened to his dad, but I'm not exactly sure. It's been a while since I heard this story, but he said that there was a pastor. I'll just say there was a pastor. I'm not sure if it was dad. There was a pastor of a church and there was these two brothers that were coming to their church who were warlocks. And this guy, the pastor of the church didn't seem to have a problem with that as long as they weren't trying to create a problem. He, he wasn't going to uh, kick somebody out of his church just because of their faith or their, their belief systems. If they're earnestly coming there to seek truth, he's, he's okay with it. So uh, I guess yeah. this, this happened maybe a few times. And uh, at one point during the service, these two men stood up during the service and started walking around whispering into people's ears. And, so he kicks them out of the church and that made him upset, obviously. And because they, you know, they're up to no good and he saw that. So he kicks them out of the church. Well, I guess maybe that week or a week later, I don't know how long it was, but he got a phone call. He was at the church. I think it was late at night working on whatever. And he got a phone call in his church office. And it, the other person on the, on the other line said something like, you need to get home to your family right away. And, made it sound real urgent. And then he, um, whoever was on the other end of the line hung up or something like that. He goes to get up out of his chair to go home. And he feels like these hands all over his body, like holding him in his chair or at least like touching him all over his body. Like he knew there was something going on in the spiritual realm. And this is inside of his church. And so he sits there and just is praying because he doesn't want to go home with whatever's on him, you know, and uh, he's praying. And I think he actually went into, into his car, drove around for a while, trying to get this 
whatever it was off. He finally right. go, he finally goes home to find police at the house and his front window smashed in. And it turns out that these two brothers, one brother beat up the other brother with a baseball bat. And they went to this guy's house, this pastor's house, and tried making it look like he did it to the brother to try getting him put in jail. And oh, but he wasn't there because he, wasn't, he was... Right. He wasn't there. So, so the plan was to get him at the house, and then when he's there, do this whole conflict or whatever to try getting him put in jail. But it didn't work because he was not there. And so, I mean, that, that, that story I just shared, I mean, just kind of shows you the elements that that people will go to when they don't want you to to succeed in your mission with whatever you're, you're doing. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, that's just some things that, you know, I was, I was thinking about when you were telling me that story, uh, when you mentioned about the door, did, did you, I can't remember, did you say the door was, was held shut? Like it felt like it was being held shut. It, It was like stuck in some way. So like when I went to open the door, it wouldn't open. Um, but again, I didn't think a whole lot of it because I had used the door that that morning. I knew the door worked fine that morning, but that door could get stuck a little bit, just like an old house where it was where like the top could get stuck, like swelling or something. But it, it was more stuck than that. I mean, it, like I had to use some effort in order to open it, and then when I opened it, that's when there was nobody there on the other side. Okay. Man, I'll tell you, like, there's so many different aspects of this story that you're sharing tonight that kind of just sparked these memories in my mind. Because when I was a kid, I I grew up in a trailer park out in the middle of nowhere. I, I literally be- grew up between two cornfields. And when I was in this trailer park, there's this, I just remember this. there was this one girl who said that her trailer was haunted. And as a kid, you're like, oh, okay. So we, we go down to her trailer and okay. me, I think me and my buddy, we walk in and like we're there for maybe i don't know a minute or two i'm like oh nothing's happening i'm out of here and i was probably scared anyways and uh we walked out and she wasn't behind us i guess she was doing something and uh we closed the door behind us and i remember we walked off her porch and all of a sudden we hear her yelling screaming kicking the door and we i ran up on the on the porch and i just put my hand on the doorknob and the door opens up and I was like, oh, did the door get stuck? And she's like, no, didn't you open it? I'm like, no, I didn't open it. And so <laughs> I don't know what happened there, but uh, <laughs> something was holding that door shut for her that she couldn't leave. And as soon as I right. touched the door, it just opened up. Like she, I guess she had let go of the door and it wow. just kind of opened up. And it's right. like, it's, it's just kind of incredible how like you hear these different stories and there's just little pieces that actually kind of relate to other people's stories. It seems like, whatever's going on there's it's like a same trick you know right some kind of a similarity well and and for me this was the first time that i had really heard the term spiritual warfare and my first thought was like well i'm not smart enough to handle that i mean i'm a i'm a mom and i go to church on sundays and I, i raise my kids but i can't I can't do something like that, especially to the extent of what these women were. But I don't know. It, it has got me thinking about it ever since. And I find myself now being, I don't want to say a little more open to it because that almost sounds wrong, but I don't dismiss it as quickly that if someone says, 
oh, my house is haunted, I don't go, oh, really? You know, I, it's, whereas before I probably wouldn't have thought too much about it, but now I'll normally say, well, you know, have you asked your pastor to come and pray, or have you prayed? Have you walked through it? Have you, you know, looked at things that maybe you've either been given or purchased? And I, I don't know if things can attach to things or any of that, but I've just, I've realized that it's not as pretty as what I had hoped it would be. Like you said, about skipping verses in the Bible. Well, I don't know, that's not for me. And and we have friends who are missionaries in Africa, and to hear now some of their stories, what they hear when they're over there, I don't know, I just realize that it's a lot bigger than what a little country church can sometimes be or think of. Yeah, absolutely. And, and what you just said about the whole uh, things possibly attaching to something, uh, mm-hmm. I just had a guy on the show earlier. Uh, it was episode 23. I titled the show, A Church's Baphomet. Do you know what a Baphomet is? Yeah. Okay. So this church, his parents, his parents were in the ministry and they they had a unique ministry. And uh, they were working with the their own pastor and pastor's wife. They were dealing with something. I can't remember the details. But they're, through the process of this counseling and trying to work with the, the, the couple, the church's pastor and his wife, the pastor woke up one night with this just this word in his head, Baphomet. And he didn't understand where that was coming from. He didn't even know what a Baphomet was. And so mm-hmm. he went to this this guy's parents and told them about uh, what he was hearing, this word Baphomet. And um, right away, his parents knew exactly what this was. He, they told him, the pastor, what it was. And they said, have you brought in anything to the church that could be, you know, bringing this on to you or the church or whatever it was. And uh, he did, he couldn't think of anything. And so he's walking around the church and looking at different things and trying to figure out what could be it. And I guess when he first became the pastor of the church or early on in his career there, somebody had visited the church as a guest and she brought a gift. And it was like, I think it was like a hand-drawn picture. And I think he said it was like a picture of Jesus on the cross. Yeah. And and so this pastor's looking at this picture of Jesus on the cross, and he's looking real close, and he pulls the picture off the wall, and he flips it upside down, I think, and there in Jesus's beard is a picture of a Baphomet that somebody drew as, like, you know how in pictures you can have, uh, you know, two pictures in one, and if you look at it a certain way, you'll see something? Right, kind of like hidden objects. Right. Stuff. Well, that's what this was. And so he immediately, you know, told these people what that he found it. He got rid of the picture. Like a week later, the church gets a letter in the mail from the local satanic coven. Now the pastor the pastor didn't even bother opening the, the letter. He just, you know, threw it out. But that for me, relating that back to you, there's definitely things that can be attached to, you know, objects. And somehow somehow that satanic coven knew that they found that picture then and threw it away because that week they sent that letter. And so um, I remember during the interview, he suggested that, you know, maybe it was some kind of portal where they were astro projecting into the church or something like that. But 
either way, uh, yeah, objects can definitely have things attached to it. That's one reason I don't want to go to antique stores and right. bring old stuff in that you don't really know where it's been, just in case. For me, I mean, that's, that's my view on it. And I would say, prior to our incident at the church, I honestly would have just dismissed, not in a mean way, but I just would have thought, no, those things can't happen. But once you go through it yourself... And you realize, like I said, you're not the type of person who messes around with anything dark. You don't, I don't look at it. I don't read about it. I I have no interest whatsoever. And if it can happen to me and our children and us as a family, then I know it can happen to others. And that's the only reason why, you know, I finally agreed to talk because I didn't want to scare anybody. But the more I realized it was, well, if I share, you know, my part of the story, and, you know, Matt has shared his, I don't think it's a coincidence that those things can happen, and I don't know, I just feel like if we don't talk about it, we're not helping anybody else, and maybe this interview will just make someone rethink things, or pray about things, or I don't know, just protect themselves and and their church, you know, if they're part of a church... Our pastors need to be prayed for. Our churches need to be prayed for. Our church members and guests that are coming in, they just, we can't pray enough. Uh, I totally agree with you. Um, Absolutely. Uh, I wanted to ask you, you brought up the pastor. You know, after he told you that the church was cursed, and like you said, I mean, he was very just kind of matter of fact about it. Right. uh, do you, do you know if he was actually doing anything himself for, you know, to better the church away from this curse? I mean, was he participating in these prayer walks? Was he, what, do you know if he was doing anything actively pursuing getting rid of this curse? Um, you know, I'm not, I'm not positive one way or another, because like I said, when I talk with the secretary um, and the other lady, they seem to be the two big prayer warriors at the church. So I don't know if um, either he was joining them in praying or leaving it in their hands a little bit while he did other work at the church. But I do know um, he had stepped in to help um, a family who was a member of the church who were having some issues at their house, because I can remember um, a conversation about some experiences that they had and how he was going out to pray in their home bless their home, and ask for protection. So I would have to say that he was in in some aspect, especially if he was either sensitive enough or supportive enough of this one particular family. Um, I would would hope that he did, but I don't know for sure. Okay. Yeah, I was just, I was curious because, I mean, uh, if, if he wasn't active in pursuing this, I mean, it would make sense that the uh, curse would continue if the leadership wouldn't even touch it. But, um, you know, I I don't know. You did say that the church had this curse on before this pastor came to the church? Yes, yeah, that was my understanding. It sounded like it was something that happened many years ago. and, And, I mean, I would even go so far as to say, like, the way it was described, it sounded like 50 years ago. 
but I don't know. I mean, I didn't ask specifics. He didn't say, 50 years ago women did this. That was just kind of my assumption as part of the conversation. I know that it was not anything that had just recently happened because I think then he would have said, well, last year there was this issue that came up. So it sounded like many, many years ago. Okay. All right. Uh, when you when you were in this church and this whole thing happened, you heard a noise. What did the noise sound like? It sounded like thumping, not knocking. You're not a typical door knock. It was more of thumping because I just knew that someone rammed their shoulder several times into the door. That's just that's exactly what it sounded like. So it didn't, the thumping did not scare me at all. And there had to have been like a jiggling kind of a sound to where I knew that someone was at the doorknob, the just, I don't know, if you just kind of close your eyes and imagine yourself going from one room to the next, the sound that it, that it would make. Okay. You know, you mentioned earlier about how you were the, you were the first one there, right? There was nobody else in the church? There was no one else besides me and our children. Okay. And at what point did people start showing up? Was it like right when it was time to be there? Yeah. Um, yeah. So the meeting started at two o'clock. Uh, we were probably there one thirty, one forty, probably more like one forty. And it had to have been really close to two, like five till two, because I remember the only reason I walked over to that area was because I thought, where is everybody? This meeting starts, and I'm always late for everything I do. So it was kind of a joke of, oh, great, the one time I'm on time, and it's the wrong day. So that's why I had walked over. And like I said, I was prepared the moment that happened. We were leaving, meeting or not. And as I walked back into the fellowship hall where the meeting was, that's when some of the members had started coming through. So it was right before 2 o'clock. Now, hearing that makes me wonder... Do people at that church make it a habit to not show up until it's actually time to be there so nobody's actually alone at that church? Oh, that's an interesting thought. Yeah, that is weird. I hadn't thought of that at all. Well, and knowing that the people that were there were not necessarily church members, with it being a local 4-H club meeting. Now, it does tend to be church members, but anyone is welcome, even if you don't attend the church. Okay. After we had left, we would take walks mm-hmm. throughout the town, and a few times we had ran into other members. Mm-hmm. Some had actually left. They had a lot of people yeah. Yeah, that had left for various reasons. And then, because um, I know you said it had happened... Others there. Others had 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 something with the door. Right, which were the secretary yeah. and the other lady that would pray. Did one did did one secretary actually quit? Run out? Oh yeah, okay. she she ended up the one secretary, the one who was one of the prayer warriors, did end up quitting. Um, and I want to say now that you say that too, I don't think either one of those ladies would be at the church by themselves. That was like their rule, which is why the second one was often there when the secretary was there, because she just did not want to be there alone. Because I thought one of them had, had said during one of those walks when we ran into them that they actually, it actually happened. They were on the other side of the doors when it happened. 
You might be right. They lived on the sanctuary they were, side. Because that's the, they were on the sanctuary side where you were on the other side when it happened to you. Right. They had the experience with those doors from the other side. That does sound right. I've forgotten all about that. Yeah. Um, and didn't, I, I don't re- remember exactly, but did they run out at that point? I can't remember for sure, but it was some, like, the one lady, they were, now we actually are saying this, there were two secretaries and then the third lady. One secretary left and never came back. You're right. I forgot about that. So, so you had, you had your experience on the one side of the doors. Right. And then other people had experienced it from the sanctuary side. Right. Right. And I'm I'm almost positive that uh, if you put the pastor the two secretaries, the lady who was helping with prayer, and myself, the five of us, none of us are at that church today. We're all gone. Even the pastor? Yes. Yep, the pastor is now gone, too. That's really interesting. Do you remember how long after we left, he actually left? Hmm. I want to say it was a couple years, because I think his son graduated from our local high school before they before they left. Yeah. I want to say it was a few years. Wow. That's uh that's quite an encounter you've had and uh I guess it's definitely an eye opening experience for you. Oh, it it changed everything for me. Absolutely everything. Because I just didn't realize that it was possible. And it's funny because the things that you do to protect yourself you know, I think, like, you, we can put ourselves in a situation more easily. You know, I, I may have, had we not had children, I probably would have stayed at that church longer. I but, <laughs> but that I But maybe that was just the mother's instinct. It was, yeah. I don't care if it's true, if it's not true, if there was even the slightest possibility that there was a curse, my kids could not be there. That was really, and even to this day, we do occasionally have to go back into the church building um, because, again, being in a small town, you know, voting can happen at this church or um, different things like noodle dinners and cute hometown kind of stuff. So you do find the path still crossing, and it always sends chills through me. I wouldn't go into the church by myself today. Really? No, there's no way. Now, the only time I've ever been in after that is to vote. Right. That's only been because of of, uh, being able to vote other places and everything else. Right. Um, I haven't had to go in probably three times maybe since since that happened. Right. Um, But I'm nowhere near where that happened. Uh, You're more towards the back of it. Right. Um, because church is awful low, old, and they had built on obviously throughout the years. Right. So, but I mean, I, I still uh, drive by it today. Um, I don't know. I, I don't know if 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 that there's still something um, like that going on. Um, but for you to say that, I mean, I I mm-hmm. trust your gut because. Um, you can probably sense that a lot more since it happened to you. I I wouldn't want to be in there by myself because I think you know the possibility of, of of something like that happening again. Could oh happen. yeah, yeah. Um, I would just 
call upon the name of Jesus and walk out um, to, just, just to get away from it. But um, yeah, so you wouldn't, you wouldn't. No, it's you know, one of those things. I don't, that I don't blame you. I'm, when I go in, I find I have to talk myself through it a little bit, and then I say, you know, nothing is going to keep me. I'm not going to let something, some kind of evil, keep me from living my life. Um, so I feel like I try to make myself be brave a little bit. But I also pray before I go in. I often pray while I'm in there. But I, like I said, I don't have to go very often, but I, I do. And, and we've never told our children this story because I just I don't want them to be scared and anything like that. Well, at some point as they get older. Right. Right. Well, guys, I really appreciate you coming on here and sharing this stuff. I mean, uh, it definitely opens up a door of conversation that isn't really held very often and is very uncomfortable to hold because no, nobody wants to talk about uh, churches being cursed and the possibility of these kind of things happening within a church building. But the reality of the matter is, it is just a building. Really, it is. I mean, the Bible talks about uh, the body of Christ and how uh, Christians coming together is the body, but the church building is not the body of Christ. And uh, right. it, it, it can, it's just a building, just like any other building. And when it's empty, it's empty, you know? So, uh, I mean, I, I know that might, you know, upset some people for me to say that, but uh, it, it's just true. I mean, it, they're all built the same, you know? So uh, do you have any parting words before we get out of here? The only thing that I can really think of is I just hope that other people, if they go through a similar experience or they hear someone sharing their experience, you're knowing you are the first person besides Matt that I have told in 12 years, 13 years, something like that, um, and, and that it's real. I think that's the other the other part. And if someone does open up and share a story or ask questions, I would encourage someone not to dismiss them. And, and if you can't help them, because you said it's, it's a very uncomfortable subject to talk about, I would say the first person that they should go to is their pastor or their church leader. Um, and it's not something to joke with. It's not something to dismiss. And, and they need to pray about it and Join others in prayer and and read the Bible, learn and and go through this very uncomfortable thing because God is with them and like you said it it's a building or it's something that happened. But I can tell you, running from it doesn't change what happened, which I think is what I've done over the years. I have just I didn't I didn't want to go there. I didn't want to think about it but you can't erase it when it happens either. So, you know, it, doesn't it say somewhere about, you know, the truth will set you free and you've got to you've got to shine the light and right. I pray that that's what I've done that by sharing my piece of it and I know Matt feels the same way with, you know, his story a little bit. It's it's not to scare anybody, it's not to one up someone's spooky story. Mm-hmm. I wish we didn't have these stories to share. I wish that we could say, oh, it's all been made up and and I got you, but the fact is it's truth. And 
I don't know, maybe God can can use these words to reach someone else. That's that's all I can hope, and that's what I pray for. Right. And that we keep mean evil out of the church too. <laughs> yeah. That's the other the other really big thing. Well, let me ask you right before we get out of here. You're saying all this, and it just made me think. I want to just ask you this one question. Now that you have told me this story, now you told Matt when it happened. Now right. I'm the first one you've actually told outside of your marriage. How do yes. you feel after telling this story? Um, a little bit of a combination of things. I feel a little free, like I'm not, I'm not keeping this secret anymore. Um, and then a little, um, I don't want to say scared because that's not the right word, but it just confirms that it happened. And, and I also feel like I need to learn a whole lot more. I need to, you know, like when I see those scriptures in the Bible that I'm like, okay, yes, I know it's true. Now I'm going to go to a scripture that makes me feel good about something. Then I've got, I've got some growing to do. I have some learning to do. And, and I have a family that I want to protect and a church family that I love that I want to protect. And I don't want us to stick our heads in the sand anymore. So maybe empowered, that might kind of be the word too. It's, it's freeing and empowering more than anything. That's awesome. Sitting here with you, looking at you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's exactly how you look. Yeah. You know, and mm-hmm. and uh, I think it was good for you to get this out. Yeah. I think it was really good, and and I'm glad I did. You know, uh, my part. You know, the first part of the interview, um, because a lot of people think those Ouija boards are just a game. It's just a game. It's just a board right. game. And when you are there in the midst of what I talked about and this board giving answers to things that you're like, there's no, there's no way. These, these, these two, these two, you know, girls with their hands on that board would not know this. And, right. Um, that. You know, when you grow up in church and, and, and you believe in God and you believe in Jesus and you believe in heaven and hell, and even though you've probably seen, you know, people get healed and, and stuff like that, when you see um, the other side play its hand Yes, way, yes. Um, That's a good way to put it. it it's, it's, it's... And how easily the world... Yeah. allows it to happen Easily. and uh, it's, it's a board game that kids have access to all the time yeah. you just don't realize there's a whole nother realm that's yeah. there and if we can help anyone and i kind of use our kids as filters a little bit too and i think that's where a little bit of the courage comes from is you want to be good examples for for your kids and you want to protect them from any evil. And if I just pretended that this stuff didn't happen, I'm not doing our kids a service no. at all. No. Right. You're absolutely right in that. And, you know, you said something earlier about how, you know, seeking help and, and going to your pastor and stuff. And, you know, even even with that, I would say this, and, and it's because I, I speak from experience. I've talked to people that have felt this way. 
that they go to their pastor for help, and their their pastor really doesn't help them very much. And and I want people to understand: don't don't hold it against your pastor that he didn't have the answer for you. A lot of times, this kind of stuff is. Now, I'm, you're talking to somebody who did go to Bible college. Now, I practically failed out of Bible college because I hated some of the classes they had me going to. But <laughs> I, I love the Bible classes. But when they had me going to financial or um, these uh, fine arts classes and medieval ancient world history, I had no interest as a 19 year old kid. Um, right. But as somebody who did go to Bible college, uh, these are topics that are not taught in your Bible classes. There is no preparation. I mean, there might be a little bit here and there, but unless you're sitting down with your professors and actually talking to them about these kinds of things to learn about this, it's really not covered in the classes. So I, I want you to have some grace for your pastors too, because they may not have the answers that 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 you really actually need. But if you could go to your pastor, let them know what's happening, and together you seek for answers, that's the ideal thing. So um, don't, don't go to your pastor thinking he's going to have the answer and it's going to be like a, a light switch he just flicks off for you. Um, it, right. it, it could be a process, and he may not be totally sure. You might be the first person he's ever come in contact with that has had a problem like this, and uh, it'll be a learning experience for him as well. So, you know, don't go in there with high expectations thinking that, you know, your pastor's going to turn into Jesus Christ himself and everything's going to be great, you know? So, <laughs> I'm glad you said that because the church that we switched to, I did have one conversation with that pastor, and I said, you know, I have to ask this question, and I told him what happened, and he was very quick to dismiss everything and basically to say, you know, even though he told you that, I wouldn't put a whole lot of faith in it. And instead, you need to focus on, on you know, growing with Jesus and learning more. And I think that he, he didn't mean to be so dismissive of, of me as much as it was he saw a young woman who was scared and... Mm-hmm. And I think he wanted to set my mind at ease a little bit. Um, but you're right. You know, in, in hindsight, what I wanted from him was him to tell me absolutely everything and why it happened and why it would never happen again. And he just wasn't capable um, of doing that. And and I moved past it. I really did. Um, but again, it doesn't change it. It doesn't keep it from entering your mind sometimes. Right. Yeah, and that's the thing. I mean... The, the Bible and this whole thing, this theological realm, I mean, it is so deep and, and very complex. And I mean, you got the basics of the gospel and things like that. And because uh, I know there's going to be Christians out there to hear me say that and like, oh, but what I'm saying is that there's so much to, to learn. Uh, and, yeah. and your pastor, he could be in the ministry for 40 years. And if, if he's not waking up every day trying to look for something new that he hasn't known before, then mm-hmm. he's kind of dropping off a little bit because there's so many mysteries and there's so many things to learn about all this stuff and the the whole paranormal supernatural aspect of 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 the Bible and what we deal with here is just a small fraction of what these pastors are actually trying to study and learn and teach other people you know so uh, I don't know why I felt compelled to say that I just I, I guess I'm just trying to stick up for the pastors because I know there's going to be people out there that, you know, do pursue talking to a pastor and the pastor may just may not have the answers and that's okay. It really is. I don't have the answers. A lot of times we also forget that our pastors are just human and they've went to school, they've had their training, they've learned 
so much that they can learn. They pray like we do. They know a lot more than some of us do, but they're still human too. And I think sometimes we expect them to be the walking answering machine a little bit of, you've got to know it all and tell me exactly how it is. And that's not the case. So right. we're just trying to be helpful. I I think, uh, and I know I'm babbling on about this, but I, I do think that a lot of times people think that their pastor had, they may not mentally, you know, actually go there and say this to themselves, but just the idea of it, I feel like they treat their pastors like their pastor has the ability to um, translate the Bible from the original Hebrew and there's some kind of scholar. It, most pastors have a bachelor's degree in pastoral ministry and they're given a church to preach every Sunday and and lead. And that's right. the that's the extent of their education, four years of Bible college. And the rest of their education comes on their own of being self-taught and studying themselves for the rest of their lives. And, right. you know, most pastors don't have a doctorate in front of their name, and they can't say that they're a Bible scholar. There are some out there that are Bible scholars, and they literally can, uh, you know, translate the Bible from its original writings. But most pa- pastors do not have that ability. And I think a lot of times people think that their pastor is just some kind of person that has just infinite knowledge of the Bible. And and and, the, and it puts the pastor in a bad spot, too, because the pastor starts thinking, I can't say I don't know to these people because they need the answers. And it kind of creates this this environment where the pastor feels this pressure of needing to be the guy all the time. And that's just not the case. I mean, they're human, too, you know? Well, and I don't know about you, but I know sometimes when I do meet that person, that the scholar who knows a lot, or you catch them on the radio or the TV or something, sometimes the way they talk is so over my head that even if they do have all those, I just may not understand them. You know, I just, you kind of lose touch with that a little bit. And I think, gosh, all I wanted was to know, is it true or not? Or, you know, or whatever. The <laughs> yeah, I, to- so I totally get it. To me and I'm like, no, no, I'm good. <laughs> Absolutely. I totally get that. Well, listen, I really appreciate talking to you guys. I think you guys had some incredible experiences that will enlighten other people. And uh, I really appreciate you coming on. Well, thanks for having us. It was a good experience. Yeah, thanks a lot, Tony. Absolutely. You guys take care, okay? Okay, you too. Well, that's the show, everybody. I really hope you enjoyed it. And if you did enjoy it, please go ahead and give us a rating and review on your favorite podcatcher. That could be iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, Podbean. doesn't matter to me what bean it is. I just care that you gave us a rating and review if you enjoyed the show. Also, subscribe to us if you haven't done so already. If you had an encounter or a story you'd like to share with me on the show, go ahead and shoot me an email at theconfessionalspodcast at gmail.com or go to the website, theconfessionalspodcast.com, hit the connection section, and you can reach me that way as well. I hope everybody has a great week, and I hope you enjoyed the show. I'll see you next week right here on The Confessionals. (laughs) 